guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, who's excited for another life-giving, hope-filled, inspiring message from the Word of God today? Who's excited? All right, lower your expectations because this one's going to hurt. Um, today, the subject title is this, How to Spot False Teachers. Okay, we're going to be talking about heretics, false teachers, and sexual sin. Welcome to Redemption Church. We're in week three of our study through 2 Peter. If you're new, we just walked through books of the Bible. So if you get mad, don't get mad at me. Get mad at the author. I'm just telling you what God says. We're just walking through this verse by verse, getting everything we can out of it so we can then apply it to our lives. And we're in 2 Peter, a series called Truth and Lies. And here's the big idea Peter's gonna give to us today is that truth is authentic and lies are counterfeit. Okay, anything that's worth having, eventually somebody's gonna make a knockoff, amen? Yeah. Right, I mean, who is into sneakers? You got any sneaker heads in the room, right, right, right? Whenever you go online and you buy yourself a nice pair of Jordans or something, you need to get them from a good website because they authenticate it because there's a lot of counterfeits, right? Okay, any ladies into handbags? Any ladies into handbags? Okay, if you're a guy into a handbag, wrong church, okay? Go somewhere else. <laughs> But if you're into handbags, what do you know? There's counterfeits, there's knockoffs, okay? There's Michael Kors and there's Michael Bors, right? And so whenever me and Ashley, we went to Mexico a few years ago, if you would go into the, the, the shopping centers, there was all the authentic, legit stores. But if you went a little bit further down in the village, there was somebody standing by the beach and they were gonna try to sell you one for $5, right? Because they're knockoffs, they're actually worthless. They look the same, but they're not the same. I looked it up this week. There's over $600 billion in counterfeit currency circulating in America right now. So many of you, you've probably spent counterfeit money. You probably had counterfeit money. You've probably even tried to deposit counterfeit money before and you didn't even know it. Why? Because it looked like the real thing, but it was a counterfeit. And what Peter's gonna say is this. There's some of y'all who have believed counterfeit gospels and you've listened to false teachers and you probably don't even know it. I remember one time when I was waiting tables, I actually had somebody give me a counterfeit bill. Now I didn't know it at the time, but what I did was I went and tried to deposit it at the bank and they took one of those pens and they rubbed it across the top of it and it changed the ink and the color and they handed it back to me and they said, sir, this is a counterfeit, we cannot accept that. And I was like, how did you know? She said, well, this pen right here tells us what's authentic and what's a counterfeit. I said, well, can I keep it? She said, not unless you want to go to jail. Um, and I was like, well, you can keep it. I've been there before. I don't want to go back. So, um, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to open up God's word and I'm going to let this right here, which is called a Bible, I'm going to let God's word be like a pen over the counterfeit gospels in which you might have believed. And so we're just gonna open up the Bible and we're gonna see what God's word says. And Peter's gonna tell us four things about false teachers. The first thing he's gonna say is this, there will be false teachers. Here's what he says. But false prophets also rose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. He doesn't say there might be. He doesn't say there may be false teachers. No, he says, get ready because there will be false teachers. Like you can take it to the bank. It's gonna happen. And then he says this. He says, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're gonna do it in secrecy, right? They're not gonna walk into the church and be like, hey guys, I'm a heretic. Who wants to go to hell with me, right? They're not gonna do it like that. No, they're gonna be more covert. 
And they're gonna slowly begin to introduce these ideas. They're like cancer. It starts off real small and then eventually it spreads until it infects and affects the entire body. You'll notice here, it starts small. By the end of the sermon, it gets to be a really big problem. Here's what goes on. He says, these heresies, we'll talk about that, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many who follow in their sensuality. That's the word of sexual sin. It's porneia. It's any sexual sin outside of God's original intention design. They're going to entice you with sensuality because the way of the truth is blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with their false words. There's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of profit in being a false prophet. He goes on and says, their condemnation is from long ago. It is not idle. Listen, there are no new heresies. There's only old heresies with better marketing. There are no new lies. There's only old lies with better PR firms. Now they have hashtags and parades and they have social media accounts and YouTube videos. It's still lies, but now it's just more pervasive to where people actually think that just because it's popular, it must be true. And their destruction is not asleep. Listen, last week, Brandon preached a fire message, didn't he? Wasn't that just a great word? Okay, he's probably not watching online right now because he's sitting on a beach. Uh, So pray for him because he's suffering for the Lord in Mexico, right? Um, But he brought a fire word. And and here's here's what his message was, is you can trust the Bible, the reliability of the authority of the scriptures. In fact, here's a quote that he said, and I just think it's so powerful. He says, if we remove some things from the Bible, then we can remove anything from the Bible. Like if you remove some things from the Bible, then eventually you can just remove anything. If you take scissors to the scriptures, then you can make the Bible say what you wanted to say. But in the end, that's not a Bible. That's not God's word. That's your opinion. If you start removing things, you can remove anything. Here's the message of Second Peter. He says, chapter one, you can trust the Bible. Chapter three, come back next week. He's going to say, you can trust the Bible. Chapter two, he says, don't trust people who don't trust the Bible. And he's going to introduce to us this because it's important because there's going to be false teachers that are going to come along and they're going to be like the serpent in the garden who they'll say, did God really say, is that really what God's word actually means? Eh, That can't really be what it actually says. You know what? If you don't agree with it, just toss it and leave it and then find the things that you do agree with. Right, go find a preacher who preaches Bible verses that you do agree with. Go ahead and do that because you're gonna start removing some things, then you might as well just go ahead and, and remove everything. They say the Bible is like a buffet. It's just kind of pick and choose what you like and toss out the parts that you don't like. I don't like the stuff about, you know, gender and sexuality. I do love the stuff about Jesus and love, right? But then Peter comes along and he's so mean, right? Peter was the number one disciple of Jesus and the leader of the very first church. Nobody knew Jesus better than Peter does. Okay, and so people are like, well, I like this, but I don't like that. And what they do is they eventually begin to remove things from the Bible, end up with something that's not even in the Bible. And he says, we need to watch out for these types of people. This is the church that, that Peter was writing to. And first Peter says that they were a part of the diaspora. They were good Jerusalem Christians. And then all of a sudden, due to the persecution of Rome and the religious leaders, there was, they, they had to flee from their home country. So now they've moved to an area called Asia Minor, and it's a Roman province. And all of a sudden, all these good little Christians, they're sending their kids to Roman schools. 
and they're sending their kids to watch Roman YouTube videos and follow Roman TikTokers, and now they're worshiping Roman gods. They don't believe just one God. They have thousands of gods. You can pick and choose what God, and they have all sorts of different politicians, and so you can support this Roman politician or this Roman politician, and now there's infighting, and then there's also different racial segregation that's happening, and so now you can racially segregate with this Roman group versus this Roman group, and now there's riots and protests in the streets, and shortly after this, the entire city burned to the ground because of riots and protests. Wow. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, welcome to the United States of Rome. <laughs> it's where we live today. And in, and in the area in which Paul was writing this to, there was a Roman sex god named Sybil, and the way that you would worship this sex god is she had priests, male priests, that they would castrate, cut off the genitals, grow their hair long, dress them in women's clothes, and then once a year they would throw a parade. Okay? We call that the month of June here. Right? The first transgendered movement was actually from people worshiping demons back in Rome. Does this sound familiar? Welcome to Rome. Welcome to America. Do you see why this is so prevalent? Look, this is not an old book. This is a timeless book. Therefore, it is always timely. It doesn't just tell us what God did. It tells us who God is and what he does. This word doesn't change, but as we read it, this word will change us. Therefore, we cannot get rid of some things. And we, if we do, we might as well get rid of everything. Peter's writing to his church and he says, watch out for people who want to twist and contort the scriptures to be able to feed into your sinful desires. Listen, early, this is so important for us to understand because he, he says something that teachers are rising up in his day. False teachers are rising up in our day as well. And they are not delivering God's word. They are editing God's word. And they're trying to get you to celebrate the culture rather than to submit to the scriptures. And they are teaching lies. They are not teaching truth. This is the pervasive underlying ideology and theology behind the progressive, woke, Christian deconstruction movement. What are they doing? They're getting you to doubt the authority of scripture. It is no different than the first lie told in the garden. Did God really say? And they're getting you to doubt the sovereignty, the goodness, and the authority of God and his word. And they know that once they can set a lie so secretly inside of your mind, they'll get you to doubt some things. Eventually, they'll get you to destroy everything in that you believe. What started off as a deconstructed moment all of a sudden becomes a deconverted person, which in the end, it will lead to the condemnation and destruction. Peter says, you watch out for these people. They are false prophets. And then he uses this word right here, heretic. Now that's a big word. I think it's the first sermon in seven years I've ever said the word heretic. You know why? Because we don't throw that word out very lightly. Calling someone a heretic is basically the Christian equivalent of calling someone a rapist. Okay, if you're gonna say that, you need to have some proof to back it up. If you're gonna make that accusation, you better back it up. Now listen, there's some of you, you spend way too much time on the internet and arguing with people in comment sections. I just want to let you know that just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean they're a heretic. That's right. Okay, they're like, well, I disagree with them. They must be a heretic. No, a heretic is not somebody who disagrees with you. A heretic is somebody who disagrees with God. Yeah. That's what a heretic is. Like you're fallible, this word is not. Right. Okay, and so as Christians, there's a lot of Christians who, man, they, they have different convictions than us. That doesn't make them a heretic. They're still family. Like me and my brother, we don't get along all the time, but you know what? We're still gonna have lunch after church <laughs> because he's still my brother. 
But there are other people who they are not brothers. There are false teachers and they don't get a spot at the family table because they're heretics. Now, let me explain how this works, okay? First is there's orthodoxy, okay? If you take your notes, write this down, orthodoxy. Basic Christian beliefs that all Christians have believed for the last 2,000 years. Like, these are settled, right? This is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, known as the Trinity. The Bible is the authoritative word of God, the holy universal church, the second coming of Jesus. Like, those things, they're settled, We even recently had to add sex and gender uh, on our church website because every week we get questions. What what does redemption believe about homosexuality? What does redemption believe about transgenderism? And so we have a canned answer that we send them and we say, hey, any sex outside of biblical orthodox sexuality, one man, one woman, and a covenant for life is outside of God's original intention and design. And then I have to explain to them what men and women are because it gets really confusing. (laughs) And so, so what I have to say is this, this is Christian teaching for 2000 years. Every Christian has affirmed this for 2000 years. It's only been in the last decade that people have brought these things into question. And so what we have to understand is that this is basic orthodox Christian teaching. The second thing is it moves into what is known as heterodox. Okay. What is heterodox? This is teaching that is not yet heresy, but it's not quite orthodoxy. They're a little squishy. They're kind of in the middle. This is what maybe 95% of your favorite televangelists and YouTube pastors, they're probably in this area. Like if their books are sold in Walmart, probably shouldn't be reading it, right? I would say 10 out of 10, not recommend because somewhere they've compromised to be able to reach that level of some level of popularity. And so, so I would say they're not heretics, not yet. Let's pray for them. They're brothers in error. Let's pray that they would repent and come back because he says there's two things that makes a person a heretic. He says, number one, denying the master. They're not yet denying the master. They're just really watering down the message. Okay, they're they're, they're just telling you what you want to hear to keep you coming back, right? They're not denying the master. They're just not telling you the whole truth. Not necessarily lies, but not the whole truth. And then he gives us another qualifier. He says, sexual sin that they affirm sexual sin. The moment a person begins to to say, well, I don't know if I believe in the Bible. The question, my next question is, who are you having sex with? Because there's sexual sin somewhere because that's the next step once you deny the master because you remove some things, you can remove everything. And so once a pastor starts affirming sexual sin, he's officially moved into heretical territory. There's two really famous megachurch pastors right now who are clear as mud on their homosexuality stance. And so I'm praying for those brothers that they would repent and come back to Orthodox faith and they would get out of the dangerous territory of heterodoxy. Because if you stay there too long, you move into a level of heresy. Now, what is heresy? Okay, here's what we say as Christians. There's open-handed and closed-handed issues. Okay, closed-handed issues, orthodoxy. This is what we believe. We've always believed. There ain't no change in these things. Okay, then there's open-handed issues. Well, we can debate, we can dialogue, we can have a cup of coffee, we can disagree and still love each other. So how old is the earth? I don't know, old enough. (laughs) When's Jesus coming back? Pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pan-trib. It's all gonna pan out anyway, I don't care. Right? uh, How should people be baptized? I don't know, as long as they got wet, I'm good, right? (laughs) So like we can debate on these things, but we can still have a church family on these things. What a heretic wants to do is to come along and take what's in the open hand and move it into the closed hand. Mm, Do we really need the Bible? There's other religious books out there. Well, maybe I can connect to God praying to crystals just as much as I can praying in tongues. 
Yeah, you're a heretic. Right, well, maybe, maybe this magic rock will heal me. Maybe you need to come down to the altars and let the Holy Spirit heal you. Right? You're a heretic. You say, well, maybe Jesus is not the only way. I mean, maybe I could pray to some other gods. Don't they all basically teach the same thing? No. No, you're, you're, you're out of bounds. You're no longer in the Christian faith. You, you've moved into a heretical territory. And this is important for us to understand because once you start questioning some things, eventually you'll just question everything. And once you remove some things, you'll remove everything. I was with a bunch of pastors early in my Christian ministry who we were young pastors. And man, I started seeing my, my pastor's friends going down this path. They're like, man, we need to be more active in the community. We need to be more supportive of social justice initiatives. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what happened to the gospel? Like, you really think politics is going to change your society? How about you preach the Bible? And they're like, no, 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 no. We need to get involved in these campaigns and do all these different things. And I'm like, I can't follow you anymore. I I can't walk with you anymore. Y'all are heading in a direction that I do not want to go. And now their ministries have completely blown up. Their churches are closed. Their marriages have fallen apart. They've fallen into sexual sin. Why? Because when you deny the master, it opens the door for affirming sexual sin. If you remove some things, you remove everything. And this is why this is so important. Listen, if Satan can get the pulpit, he can get the pews. Like Satan knows that if I can get that pastor to compromise, then I can then compromise that entire church. If I can get in the pulpit, if I can edit the message, then I can change the masses. If I can get in that pulpit, he will win the people who are sitting out in those pews. If you let the devil get the pulpit, he will win the pews. False teachers, they want the platform because then they can lead hundreds, if not thousands of people astray in less than 60 minutes. If the devil can get on the board, he can divide an entire church. If the devil can get a heretic on the church staff, then he can bring division into that entire church. He can manipulate and he can abuse people and he can wound and confuse Christians for entire generations. If the devil can make a pastor be fearful and afraid to stand up for the truth, then the entire church will be cowards and they will fall for the lies. Because if the devil gets the pulpit, he wins the pews. People say, Pastor, you're getting political. Listen, these are not, that's the lie you've believed. These are not political issues. These are gospel issues with political implications. Friends, there is no culture war. You are blinded. There is only a spiritual war masquerading as a culture war. Listen, I don't like teaching these messages. I don't like week after week during this series, people walking out. I don't like it. I wish I could just have one of those happy-go-lucky messages where I'm just like, God loves you, and you're amazing, more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're the head, not the tail. Let's skip and sing hymns on our way to heaven. I wish I could sit here and just sing Kumbaya to Jesus all day long until he comes back, but that's not the message he's given me. That's not the mantle that's been placed on my shoulders. That's not the type of church redemption's gonna be. If you love somebody, you tell them the truth. And it's the truth that sets people free. I wish I had a different message. Somebody said, they said, Pastor, I just don't like your tone. Somebody said, Pastor, I just don't like these messages. And I said, listen, I, I don't always teach this, okay? You're, you might be new and you're like, man, this has been like three, four weeks of him going hard to the paint. <laughs> I'm like, listen, 
I don't always do this. We teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Okay, so we're going to start the book of Acts. And we're going to be learning about the Holy Spirit and the church. And I'm not going to get to teach these things for quite some time. So come back and ask, and you're going to get a whole different type. Because listen, the way that we build a church is the same way we build a house. You you need different tools to be able to do that. You lay the foundation, but you need different tools to do it. Like not everything is a nail and not everything needs a hammer. Okay, but right now there's some nails and I got to use a hammer. But then sometimes I just bust out the skill saw. Sometimes I bust out the round. I don't even know tools, but you know, <laughs> you get a wrench, you get it, you get it, you get a socket. Cause there's a job that needs to be done. There's a house that needs to be built and you use different tools. And right now this is the tool that we're using. I wish I had an easier message to preach. But when I look around at our society, when I see that gender is called into question, when I see the LGBTQ agenda is now coming for our kids, listen, the devil don't even care about the pulpit no more. He's trying to get into kids' ministry. You got, you got children who are transitioning and taking puberty blockers that are gonna prevent them from ever being able to have children for the rest of their life because some parent wants some affirmation on a social media post. Right, you got, you got, you got all sorts of confusion The devil is the author of confusion. And now we have sexual confusion that is happening in our society and people who are going to Google before they go to God's word to be able to get their validation of their opinions. Go to God's word to get the truth. Listen, I wish I could preach you some pick and choose DIY Christianity to be able to build you up. But listen, there is a spiritual war that is happening between truth and lies and good and evil and light and darkness and angels and demons and the devil and God. And the war starts with the pulpit. And I'm wondering where are all the pastors like Peter who are willing to stand up and speak the truth and confront the lies of these false teachers? He says, watch out for the lies. Number two, he says, learn from their negative examples. Don't follow them, learn from them. You know, the Bible has a lot of really good examples. Now, there's no perfect person in the Bible. Everybody is sinful except for Jesus. That's why we need him so much. But we have people that we follow, like Moses and and David and, and Peter. Moses murdered somebody, but yet he was still a mighty man of God because what he did afterwards changed the orientation of the rest of his life. David not only murdered a guy, slept with his wife and then murdered him, right? That's double bad. And you know what? He's still known as a man after God's heart because he was repentant. Peter denied Jesus, repented, and God used him to write this book of the Bible. Like there's some good examples we can learn from. And then there's some bad examples. And we're all adults in this room. And so we can learn from some bad examples. Like in the kids' church right now, they're not learning about Sodom and Gomorrah but we're about to because we need to learn from their bad examples. Look what he says here. He gives us four bad examples. He says this. He says, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, what is that? That's demons. Demons are fallen angels. They rebelled against God, kicked down. And he said, I cast them into hell and committed in the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Listen, hell is a real place. I feel like, where's that at in the Bible? That's right here. Listen, hell is real. Hell is hot. Forever is a long time. You do not want to go there. And then it says, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to capture the wood. So what is he saying? That angels were cast down from heaven down to hell and they were changed. Hell was made for, angel, for, for demons, but there's room for you as well. Listen, people say, why does God send people to hell? God does not send people to hell. People send themselves. 
You have something that fallen angels do not have. You have a choice to be forgiven. Demons cannot be forgiven. God did not give them that choice. They had the choice to sin, but they do not have the choice to repent. You have something they don't have. You have the choice to make a decision to follow after Jesus. People say, I think it's so unloving that God would send people to hell. And I'm like, man, you know what? Completely befuddles me that God would let people into heaven. I'm like, if you join the demons, why am I going to let you in? Right? But yet here's what happens. Jesus gives us forgiveness that washes away our sins and gives us a brand new fresh start, both now and forevermore in eternal life. Right? You have something the fallen angels do not have. Do not follow them. People are like, well, I'm a good person. Really? You know what sin got kicked them out? Rebelling against God's authority. You can be a great person and you can rebel against God's authority and you can have the same eternal state as a demon because the greatest sin is rebelling against the authority of God. And you could be a really good person and you could still be rebellious and you'll spend eternity along with the fallen angels. Number two, he says, if he did not spare the ancient world, he goes back to Genesis, but preserved Noah as a herald of righteousness for 120 years, Noah preached repentance. It says with seven others, that's his family, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. He takes us all the way back to Genesis. Like Genesis one through three was amazing. Well, what happened? Well, they were just naked without shame, hanging out in the garden. Like that sounds like a vacation I wanna go on, right? And you're like, that's amazing. But what happened to the world? Well, sin comes into the world because of the first lie. Satan, the father of lies, comes into the world, deceives Adam and Eve. They sinned, they fell, they rebelled, and death enters into the world. And read the first six chapters. Go home and be like, and they died, and they died, and they died, and they died. And then God comes and kills everybody. <laughs> You're like, what? It says that wickedness and evil was all they did all day long. Say, I can't believe God would just kill an enti- the entire world. He just hit the eject button and start over like an Etch-A-Sketch, just shake it up, start all over again. But here's what God did. Because God is a God of grace, he saved Noah and his family. And he said, Noah, for 120 years, I'm about to bring a flood to destroy everything, but I want anyone and everyone to come and get on this boat and be saved. God was willing to save everybody. He said, 120 years preaching, no one responded to the altar call. And eventually God shut up the boat. It was not God's fault they didn't get on the boat. It was theirs because they didn't respond to the message that was being preached. And it says God destroyed the ancient world. There's a lot of people right now that are like, well, nothing bad's happening. Everything's going great and fine. God must be really tolerant. Listen, God is not tolerant of sin. God is patient towards sinners. Do not mistake God's patience for God's tolerance. Because eventually that door will close and you want to be on the boat when it does. If God destroyed the ancient world, he will destroy the postmodern world and all of its philosophies as well. The next thing we read is this. Sodom and Gomorrah turns their cities to ashes. How rude. Destroyed an entire culture. Oh my God, but not it. Here's what else he did. He condemned them to extinction. They double dead making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Well, what is Sodom and Gomorrah? It's like Hollywood and Vegas, like two cities right next to each other where there ain't enough hand sanitizer and all of COVID to wash away the filth on their hands. <laughs> right, they were just known for their pervasive sexual sin. 
And even whenever God sent an angel to try to deliver the people who lived there, they tried to grab the angels, have sex with them. That's how you know it's gotten really bad when people are trying to have sex with angels, right? Right? And so God's like, I got to get rid of these guys. But here's what he does is before he does destroy it, he saves another man named Lot. God's always about rescuing. Next week, we're going to read this, that God desires that none shall perish, but that all shall reach everlasting life. God's always providing a way of escape for people. He's not this mean bully in the sky waiting to smite you. No, he's a loving father trying to bring you into the family. And so it says here that he rescued righteous Lot. Now, if you know the story, Lot's not very righteous. His name's Lot because he got in a lot of trouble. But the the bar of righteousness was so low. Listen, this is how crazy God's grace is. People say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so mean and the God of the New Testament is so loving. Listen, that's a heresy known as Marconianism. And so here's what they say. God in the Old Testament was still a God of love and grace. Look look, look what he he does here. He, He lowers even, he's so bending down just to, he has to skim the bottom of the barrel just to find somebody who's barely saved. Like some of y'all barely saved, right? Like you're from the south side of the kingdom. You're like, I got a Bible, but I also got a bat, right? Like that's where you're at right there, right? That's Lot. He got into heaven by the hair of his chinny chin chin. Like that's, that's, that's Lot. God lowered his grace all the way down just to find somebody. And what did he do? He rescued him. No matter where you're at, God can save you. No matter where you're at, God can save you. He goes down, he rescues righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wickedness. For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and that he heard. Listen, this is what some of y'all are doing. You are righteous. The moment you become a Christian, you're righteous. But some of you are righteous. And yet because the way you live, you are tormenting your soul. You're still righteous, but you're torturing yourself. You're tormenting your soul. What did Lot do? Abraham reached this land that God had given him, and Lot was Abraham's brother. He says, hey, you can go live anywhere you want in this land. Where did Lot choose to move to? To the very furthest part of the kingdom. And then he just pitched his tent right next door to Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to live here. Oh, yeah, I can still see the kingdom, but I can still go hang out in Sodom and Gomorrah. I can still go hang out. And what happened? The closer he got to Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah eventually got inside of his heart. And then all of a sudden, he was tormenting himself day by day with the things he saw, the things he heard. Listen, some of you, you are righteous, but you are foolish. You are tormenting yourself because you're this close to the world and you think the world ain't getting in you. Like if you're, if you're a Christian here, by the things you see, by the things you hear, by the things you participate in, you can torment your soul. Like if, if, you're, if you're a Christian, and I just think, my God, if you're a Christian and you're believing in new ageism, you're tormenting your soul. If you're a Christian here and you're like syncretism, like maybe I'll take a little Buddha and a little Jesus, You're tormenting your soul. If you're a Christian here and you're like addicted to pornography, you're tormenting your soul. Addicted to drugs or alcohol, 
Like you're tormenting yourself. Right? If you're a Christian here and, and you're like, you're gay affirming and you're you know, celebrating the women's right to choose through abortion and you're posting the hashtags because you want the, the, the virtue signaling of people you don't even know online, what you're doing is you're tormenting your soul. Like if you're here today and you have gender dysphoria, which is a real thing, I'm not denying that, but if you're, if you're struggling with gender dysphoria, but yet at the same time, you're still going to the clubs and listening to the people who are affirming you in this false ideology, what you're doing is you're tormenting your righteousness soul. For those of us who have, those of you who have same-sex attractions, I get it. It's a real thing. I'm not denying that. But what you're doing by surrounding yourself with people who are only telling you to give into your lust and your, your base desires, you are tormenting your soul as you participate in the ways of Sodom and Gomorrah. You are tormenting your soul. Like, like you're, you're, you're right here thinking you can live in Sodom and Gomorrah and that Sodom and Gomorrah won't live in you. How long, if you have to ask, well, pastor, where is the line? Where is the line? Where is the line? If you have to ask where the line is, it's probably because you already crossed it. You should never pitch your tents right there at Sodom and Gomorrah. He had all this land he could have lived in. And where did he choose to live? Next door to Sodom and Gomorrah. My grandmother, she always told me a story. She always said, Byron, because I understand I lived this way for, for, for a decade. I walked away from the church in my early teenage years. I didn't come and get saved until I was 22 years old. And so, and so here's, here's what happened, is that, is that I got as close and I began to eventually live in Sodom. Addiction, sex, pornography, hookup, shack up, break up, repeat all over again. Drug addiction, in and out of jail, depression, anxiety, cutting myself, eating disorders. I was all up in that stuff. And then even when I got saved, I still wanted so much to be liked by the world. Yeah. And she would always tell me, she said, Byron, there's a story about a guy who, who would always sit on the fence. And there were some days he liked to go to church. And then there were some days that he, he liked to be liked by the world. And then he would say he read his Bible. He was a liar. <laughs> he really just read the push notification from the Bible app and called that reading his Bible. <laughs> Convicted much? <laughs> but, but he really liked the ways of the world. And one day Jesus came to him like he comes to us all and he says, hey, follow me. And he's like, you know, Jesus, I believe you're God, but I'm just not ready to follow you yet. And Jesus is like, follow me, follow me, follow me. He's like, if I follow you, there's some things in my life that are gonna have to change and I'm just not ready to do that yet. And Jesus still, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he's like, Jesus, I'm just not ready. I believe in you, but I'm not ready to follow you yet. And then the next day, the devil comes up to him and he goes, hey, follow me. And he's like, no, I know what happens to people follow you, right? I ain't going where you're going. I'm not following you. And the devil's like, eh, all right, whatever, and walks away. And the man stops. He goes, hey, 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 hey. How come you're not gonna ask me to follow you and beg me like Jesus did? And the devil's like, because I own the fence. The world is his property. And the fence is his property line. And you can sit on the fence all day, but you're still in the territory of the devil. Get off the fence. You've been given this much territory to live in the kingdom of God, and you want to live next door to Sodom? Get off the fence. 
choice. You can live in the kingdom or you can live in the culture, but you got to choose because you can't have both. And those who are saying, hey, come live in the culture. Listen, my friends, they are false teachers prophesying a false reality that doesn't actually exist. See, listen, the culture we live in is filled with lies, sexual sin, perversion, confusion. It's rebelling against God, his word, his will, his ways, and it's disgrace. They'll say, this is your life. Not if you're a Christian, you've been bought by a price. Say, you need to love yourself. No, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. What does the culture say? It's all about self-love. Well, 1 Timothy says, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Are we not living in the last days when everybody's loving themselves, but they hate themselves at the same time? They're false teachers rebelling against God's word. Well, love wins. No, my friends, Jesus wins. They will tell you that the Bible is what's holding us back from from being our true potential self, that we need to get rid of that outdated, antiquated book. That it's holding us back from reaching our progress. That we need to get with the times. That they'll say you're on the wrong side of history. I would say they're on the wrong side of eternity. They're false teachers. Envision a new future. Cast off all restraints. There are no boundaries. There is no sin. There is no such thing as truth. Invent your own truth. Listen, if somebody ever tells you that they don't believe in truth, they're a liar. You know why? Because that's a true statement. And the moment they say there is no truth, they're making a true statement, which makes them look foolish because it's illogical. They say this new future that we're envisioning without God, get rid of God, get rid of gender. You don't like your gender, you can change it. You don't want to be married, get a divorce. Marry whoever you want. Say you don't want babies, kill them. They say you don't like society, burn it to the ground. Don't like government, riot and protest. Don't like authority, defund the police. Don't like men, down with the patriarchy. That's the culture that we live in. It's a false prophecy. It's promising a future that does not exist. They'll say everything's going to get better. Nobody's getting hurt. But is that true? Since the sexual revolution in the 1960s, the administration of the birth control pill, since the removal of school and of prayer in school and the laws that have allowed no-fault divorces, here's what's happened. Oh, don't forget Roe versus Wade. Here's what happens. Sexual assaults have reached a pandemic level. One out of four women are raped. One out of 10 are, men are sexually assaulted. One out of five Americans have sexually transmitted diseases. 40% of children are born outside of marriage with no father in the home. For the first time in American history, there are more children being raised by single parents than those with dual parents and the nuclear family, which is the number one indicator of poverty and crime and drug addiction and prison sentences. The leading medication in America is antidepressants. of teenage girls reports thoughts of loneliness and intense feelings of sadness. Is it working? When you look around our society, is this new future they've promised you, is it working? Everybody's mad. Everybody's angry. Everybody's depressed and on medication. My friends, is it working? No. Why? Because it's a lie. 
But what happens when you live in the kingdom of God? Well, according to a book called Soft Patriarchs and New Men, the rates of joy, happiness, and generosity in the kingdom of God are higher than any other in the nation. The lowest amounts of divorce and single parenting, which produces the most well-rounded and educated children with the lowest rates of mental illness, suicide, eating disorders, drug addiction, and the least likely to go to prison. Christian married couples have sex. That's the whole big lie. Oh, you can have free sex. You can have more sex. You can have unbridled, passionate sex, right? That's the lie. Sex is a religion in America. It's the biggest religion that there, are, wow. there is. LGBTQ are denominations in their religion. And when you worship religion, you kill children. That's why, that's why what they say is this. They say, my body. What do we say every time we take communion? This is my body. It is a sacrilegious sacrament for them because when you worship sex, you put children on the altar of your idolatry. So what happens here? Well, in the kingdom of God, what we see is this. Christian couples have 20 to 30% more frequent sex than those who do not. The lowest amount of STDs, sexual assault, and abuse by both a partner or a parent, the lowest rates of mental illness than anyone in the nation, and Christian women who are married to Christian men have the most orgasms than any other society. So what I'm trying to say is this, tell the truth, shame the devil. Because they prophesy a future that doesn't exist. But God's promises are yes and amen. Do you see the lie that people have believed? Listen, Jesus says there are two roads. There is the broad road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life. Like if you're living your life and you look just like everybody else and you look around and you're all on a five-lane highway where everybody's going around thinking what you think, believing what you think, posting what you think, using the same hashtags and dressing in the same way and everybody looks exactly like you, you might want to stop. Put it in reverse, repent, and get on the narrow road that leads to life. It is a false prophecy. This way to life. No, my friends, there is blessings and curses, life and death, heaven and hell, truth and lies. And if you're on the broad road, put it in reverse and get on the narrow path. You can live in the kingdom or you can live in the culture, but you cannot live in both. The next thing he says is avoid or ignore their empty promises. He says this, bold and willful. They started small and quiet. But all of a sudden, they're bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. There's no remorse. There's no repentance, no shame. Now they have YouTube accounts and millions of followers on TikTok. They release books and go on tours. They have podcasts because they're bold and they're willful. Whereas angels... Though greater in mind power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the Lord. But these are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct. People who believe in evolution, they're cute. They're like, oh, we're evolving and progressing into a better society. The Bible says, no, actually, it's not evolution, it's de-evolution. That when you give into your base desires, you're not progressing, you're devolving back into a, what does the Bible say? Irrational animal. Wow. Right? Creatures of instinct. There is no more self-control. The governor of 
your desires has been lifted and now you're just no different than an animal following your only will and way with no consciousness before the Lord. But they are, but, but they're caught to be destroyed. Blasphemy about matters in which they're ignorant will also be destroyed with their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wages of the wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. This is what's happened in the last decade. Do you remember like 10 years ago, whoever imagined we'd be where we're at today? It's like we revel in the daytime now. Like it started off with like, hey, you know, like for the, the conversation of gay marriage started off like this. We just want to visit our loved ones in the hospital. We, we just want to be able to have the same tax breaks as everybody else. And I'm like, cool, I hate taxes too, all right? Let's get in on this, right? But today, that's not the conversation. So they said, hey, we just want you to be tolerant. I'm like, okay, we can live next door to each other. We can do life together. We can be friends and we can still disagree with each other. Like, that's fine. But tolerance has been redefined. It's no longer tolerate us, it's celebrate us. And if you don't celebrate us, then you're hateful. Like people come here, I just want to go to a church that celebrates you. Listen, this church doesn't celebrate anybody but Jesus. (laughs) All right. So, So if you come here and that's your thing and you're like super convicted right now, don't worry. The person next to you, their thing's something else and I'm going to get them next week. (laughs) All right. But think about it. Like 10 years ago, no one would have imagined that a man could become a woman. But now you have men winning awards from women. They're like, I'm a feminist. Really? You're going to keep letting all these men beat you and swimming? (laughs) You're really a feminist? Like, how about you stand up for some women around here? Like, the president's like, the most brave women I know are men. It's like, what? (laughs) And then they want to say, like, you're the crazy one. How am I the crazy one? Like, Truth is what corresponds with reality. You cannot invent new truths because they do not correspond with reality. And the whole society is trying to gaslight you into thinking you're the crazy one. Well, if you don't agree with us, you're, you're mean and hateful and wrong. We're like, what, what? You just made this up like five minutes ago. And now you want me to put pronouns in my bio because you don't know which ones yours are? It's like, who's the, who's the insensitive crazy one here? Me? You just made this up. But no, what happened? It started small, introducing secretly. And then by the end of the chapter, what happens? Bold and willful. Bold and willful, right? Their blots and blemishes. Reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes filled with adultery and insatiable sin. They entice unsteady souls. Circle that, we're going to come back. They have hearts trained in greed. They are cursed children. They're no longer heretics. Now they're just cut off from the grace of God. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed like Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. There's a lot of profit in false prophecy. That's why every major marketing firm will tell you to put a rainbow flag on your logo in June. There's a lot of money to be made in abortion. There's a lot of money to be made in transgender and transitioning children. There's a lot of money in big pharmacy. There's a lot of money in government. They're going to make a lot of money off of you. But he was rebuked for their transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with the human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. 
Listen, he was a false prophet and he wouldn't listen. And so God sent a donkey. Like some of you, you're believing false teachers and you're not listening. And just like, just like he got a donkey, you get me. Sometimes both are jackasses, but you need to listen. He restrained their madness. Then look what he says. These are like waterless springs and mist driven by the storm. A waterless spring. Can you just imagine this? A waterless spring. Imagine being so thirsty in a desert and barren land. You're wandering through for years. And then all of a sudden you see a well and you think, finally, water. And you run to it and it's, it's empty. Or imagine a, 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 a storm with no rain. Like we live in Southeast Texas. Imagine if it didn't rain one time all summer. What kind of drought would we be in, right? But imagine if over the entire city, there was a giant rain cloud and every day you'd wake up hoping it would rain and it never would. That's what it feels like when you live under false teachers. See, I believe this, that, that inside every person, there is a desire for truth, right? That's why people are making up their own truth because they're not going to God's word to find it. They want truth. People want truth. This next generation, they want truth. That's the reason why our, our church is growing is because we're teaching truth. People are coming because they want to hear truth. So people leave, but a lot of people stay because we're saying what nobody else is saying. And so, and so they want truth. Ecclesiastes says they're, they're, God has placed eternity in man's heart. People want to be saved. They're just looking in the wrong places. They're looking in waterless wells or clouds without rain. Imagine the longing people have and they get there and it's empty. That's false teaching. It's empty. And then he goes on, he says, they're speaking about things they don't even know. Loud boasts of folly, enticing sensual passions, sexual desires of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping, those who are living in error. Listen, if you want to find a teacher that will affirm your sin, you can find that on YouTube. If you don't like what I'm saying, then go just go home and just watch YouTube videos from pastors who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. You can find them anywhere. Oh, you, you want to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with? Okay, well, just go find you a teacher to support that. Like you want to live with your girlfriend? I'm sure you could find a teacher that maybe they won't support it, but they definitely won't talk about it. Like you can find a teacher that will tell you that all religions are the same. There's no such thing as hell. You'll find teachers online that will tell you that God is a woman. Like you'll find all sorts of things you want to find online. But just because, I don't know if your mama ever told you this, but just because it's online doesn't make it true. Like I grew up in the 90s. Like when I grew up, my grandmother, we were scared of the internet. <laughs> we're like, people could just post anything on there. And now we're like, hey, we could post anything on here. That's why false teachers are having a field day in our generation. He goes on and he, he keeps writing, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, they are a slave. Listen, false prophets, they overpromise and they underdeliver. They say, you can find freedom here. There's freedom. But here's where they twist the scriptures. It's because according to the Bible, freedom does not mean you are free to do what you want. You are free from who you were. Freedom is not getting away with things. 
freedom is changing and following after Jesus. See, the Bible says, before you met Jesus, you were a slave to sin, but by the blood of Jesus, you have been set free, that you are a child of wrath, but now you are called a son or daughter of God, that you were dead in your sins, separated from him, and now you've been resurrected into a newness of life. You were in the kingdom of darkness, and now you've been translated into the kingdom of God. Freedom is not you get to do what you want. Freedom is that you get to do what God says. They overpromise. This way to life, it's not life, it's death. This way to truth, it's not truth, it's lies. This way to blessings, it's not blessings, it's cursing. They overpromise and they underdeliver. For it, they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, there is hope. You're like, where's the hope at, Pastor? Here's the hope right here. Savior. You can be saved. Unlike the fallen angels, you can be saved. Along with Noah and his family, you can be saved. Along with Lot, you can be saved. There is salvation available for you. No one is beyond the grace of God. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, what you've done. Doesn't matter what lies you've believed. You can turn and trust in him and you can follow after him today. You can be saved. This is what's so amazing about grace is it doesn't care who you are. It only cares about what Christ has accomplished for you. If you trust in that, I don't care if you're straight or gay or trans or Republican or Democrat. No, you lay all of that down because you follow after Jesus. Anyone and everyone can be saved. But freedom doesn't mean you're free to do what you want. You're free from sin to follow him. That's true freedom. They escape the defilements of this world. But if they give in to them, and they walk away, their last date has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after hearing it, knowing and turning back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has now happened to them. Let me pause right here. People ask me, to say, Pastor, can I lose my salvation? Well, first of all, I think if you're asking that question, did I lose my salvation? If you're asking that, you probably have an over-imaginative conscience. A lot of Christians do They're like, oh no, I sinned. Did I lose my salvation? Did God love me? Listen, God will never leave you nor forsake you. You didn't earn your salvation and you're not gonna lose your salvation. But here's what I do believe. I believe that if you continue to drift far and long enough, then you can leave Christ. Okay, listen, I don't like the language once saved, always saved. I personally don't like it. Here, here's the reason why, because I think it's given a lot of you a false assurance that because you had an emotional experience at youth camp, you're good. I meet a lot of people that are like, well, I gave my life to Jesus, duh, 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 and never went back to church. Never read my Bible. My life looks no different. I'm like, man, maybe you didn't even meet Jesus. You probably had an emotional experience, felt a little bad, and you got some get out of hell free card. That's not salvation. Jesus is not a fire insurance. It is not cheap, greasy grace that lets you just get away with and do whatever you want. Grace is free, but it's the most expensive thing you got. How much does it cost you? Nothing. How much did it cost Jesus? Everything. And so I would say one or two things. One, 
you were never saved in the first place. Or two, you've done what Peter said and you've forsaken your master. And that's not God's fault. That's yours. He says the worst thing to do is to taste of the righteousness of God and walk away because you'll be held to a higher standard at that point. Better for you to never have been in church than for you to have never, to come to church your whole life and never be in Christ. Be better for you to not pretend to be a Christian than for you to claim to be one and not actually be one. Say, Byron, what comes next? You're like a dog who returns to your vomit. You're like a sow washing herself, returning and wallowing in the mud. But Peter's a father. He's an old man at the end of his life. He's gonna die shortly after writing this book. They're gonna arrest him and crucify him upside down. And this is the last letter he ever writes and he's writing to his church and and he's an old grandpa. And here's what he's doing. He's trying to teach these young Christians and he's saying, listen, like a father, he would say, hey, are you thirsty? Come here. There's some water here, but this is a sink and this is a toilet. They both have water in it, but if you drink from this, you're gonna get sick. So my friends, don't drink from the toilet. That's what he's saying. Jesus says, I have water you don't even know about. And now those who come and drink from me, they will never thirst again. This word is life. Right, you thirsty? Come to church, get some word. Come to Jesus, get some word. Get some time in prayer, get some word. Are you thirsty? Drink from the faucet. Don't drink from the toilet. What are you doing? Right, and and it all hinges on this word right here. He says, unsteady souls. Unsteady souls. See, Satan loves to prey on unsteady souls. Weak, vulnerable, the most immature and vulnerable out of all of us. The ones who are the most hurting and suffering are the ones who are most likely to be preyed upon by the devil. Right? And, and so he said, I was thinking about this morning. I was like, well, what are some unsteady souls, some open doors that, that really draw the attention of the demonic in a person's life? I was just thinking about some open doors and unsteady souls. And this morning as I was praying, I was thinking about one. It's like fear of man. It's a big one. Like what's going on in their church? They're being persecuted and the pressure to conform to the world. But what's happening in ours? I don't like being told I'm hateful and intolerant. I don't, I don't, like, I don't, I don't like people calling me names. I understand. I get it. I don't like people getting up and walking out of my sermons. I, I don't like preaching these types of messages. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, if I'm feeling this pressure, I can only imagine what you feel knowing that you have friends and family members who are caught up in these lifestyles. But can I just tell you something? Is that if you live for the approval of men, then you'll never be able to please God. You'll never be able to. And if we live our lives under the fear of man, then they will always be in control of your thoughts, mind, will, and emotions. You're not truly free if you live under fear of man. The second thing I was thinking is this. 
is I was thinking about church hurt. Like if you grew up in a very religious, strict, fundamental, overbearing church and you were taught man's traditions and not God's scriptures, the moment you get a little taste of freedom and Christian liberty, all of a sudden you're like, there is no throttle, let's go. And then all of a sudden it's a whole new world for you. And you're struggling with this deconstructive idea because you're trying to figure out what's God's word and what's man's traditions. And so now you're opening your door to, to demonic influence because you're no longer seeking God's word. Now you're just listening to false teachers. Right. Another one I was thinking was, was isolation. Like if the devil can get you alone, a lion always attacks the weakest and the one who's singled out. COVID-19 was nothing more than a demonic ploy to be able to get our children at home with phones out of schools where their parents can't have access to what they're doing, glued to TikTok and social media, staying up till four or five o'clock in the morning, just believing straight lies while their parents are sleeping in the room next door. Like research is showing right now that the influx of mental illness in teenagers is actually a social contagion that teenagers are watching TikToks and self-diagnosing themselves. Well, maybe I have Tourette's syndrome or maybe I have disassociative identity disorder or, or maybe I have bipolar. Maybe I'm a, a manic depressive and they're scrolling through. Maybe I'm transgender. I mean, all these people keep telling me all these symptoms and that really describes my life. And so now what you have is you have doctors who are trying to convince parents there's nothing wrong with your kid. Just get them to put down their phone. Because they're lying to your children. You can call me a boomer all you want, but they're groomers. They're grooming your child. They're sitting there saying, hey, kids, listen to me. Don't listen to your parents. And meanwhile, your kids are sitting there glued to the phone, addicted to lies, because they finally found someone to give them the attention they crave. It's all, I mean, I had a father after first service just crying in the lobby because he's like, I work 10 hours a day and I only get to spend one hour with my kids. I'm losing them to the world. They're in the world for 23 hours a day and I only get one hour with them by the time I get home. How do I do it? How do I combat the lies when I barely even get to see my kids? And they come from an amazing family, a husband and wife who love each other, three beautiful daughters. It's that isolation to get kids glued to their phones. It's a lie. And then I was thinking about new Christians. Like, I love new Christians. We're having baptisms in a few weeks. If you need to get baptized, let's sign you up. I love new Christians, right? New Christians, but they get so excited, they're like, Pastor! I got saved. I want to read everything. You got a good book you recommend? And I'm like, yes, I got a great book. Hold on, let me see. It's actually 66 books. It's called a Bible, right? And you know what? Until you've read this one, you ain't got no business reading another one. There's 66 books in here. It'll keep you busy all year long, all right? There's enough word in here that you can get in the word and the word will get in you. Right. We've given away over 20 Bibles since we started this series. I bought 50 of them. They're in the back. If you don't have one, come get one. We want to bless you with one. Here's the reason why. If you don't know what you believe, you will believe anything. 
If you don't know the truth, you will fall for the lies. If you don't know what you believe, then you will believe anything. You know how they help you spot what a counterfeit is? Like, like FBI agents who are trained to look for counterfeit money. You know what they'll do? Some people say, well, study all the counterfeits. Don't do that. What they say is get so familiar with the real thing that whenever you touch something that's not it, you recognize it like that. The way that you discern truth from lies is not by studying or living in the culture, but it's by abiding in the scriptures. This is how you discern. Listen, here's how Jesus says it. Number four, stand on God's word. Look what he says. He says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. False teachers abandon God's word. True believers abide in the word of God. See the difference? We don't cast off the word of God. We don't change the word of God. We submit under the authority of God's word. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? Abide in my word. And what happens when you abide in the word of God? He says this, the truth shall set you free. Do you want to be set free? It only comes when you follow Jesus.